0: The uh, fifth petition, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. So we'll read Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to the Lord Jesus, As I had mercy on you. And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. So far, the word of the Lord. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from hymn 63, stances 1 and (laughs) 6. Every Lord's Day in the afternoon service, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism as a summary of Christian doctrine. And we find ourselves this afternoon in Lord's Day 51. That's on page 563 of your books of praise. Lord's Day 51, there the other question is What is the fifth petition? And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That is, for the sake of Christ's blood, do not impute to us wretched sinners any of our transgressions nor the evil which still clings to us, as we also find this evidence of your grace in us, that we are fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbor. So far the Heidelberg Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, it's an interesting fact that the Lord Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts. One could easily spend an entire sermon on that word, debts. Why does Jesus choose to use the word debts instead of sins? And it's a good place for us to start as we think about this prayer. Sometimes we pray these words because we've memorized them as children. We pray them so often that the meaning can be lost upon us. And, And the surprise in a word like debts might not strike us anymore. The Lord Jesus teaches us, pray for the forgiveness of our debts. Now I will admit right away that 's not the only way that this prayer is recorded it 's a bit different in luke 's Gospel. Luke records Jesus as saying, "'Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us." So Luke uses uh, both both words uh, but uh, now it 's possible the Lord Jesus taught this prayer twice. I suspect he taught it once, and Matthew and Luke each present their own renditions the way they heard it, the way they thought about it as, as He taught it. Uh, and, and it's a reminder, too, that the Lord's Prayer is not a, a magical formula. It's not just to be repeated word for word. Uh, it's to get to the heart of what our prayers are all about. But for Matthew, as Matthew was listening to this prayer, the word debts, I suspect, made an impression on a tax collector like Matthew. Uh, he knew all about debts. That was his trade uh, so it's understandable that he was struck by the way Jesus used this word debts. Uh, see the word sins, sins points to the fact that you've done something wrong. Now we, we need to know that. Uh, we need to know there is a right and a wrong. And, and God holds us to that standard. That's what Luke was, was evidently thinking about. Uh, we don't get to make up that standard for ourselves. It's a message our culture needs to hear today as well. There is such a, a thing as sin. And we are accountable for it. Uh, but when Jesus tells us to pray for the forgiveness of our debts, He's saying something even more than that. He says, not only have you done what is wrong, but also because of that, there's now an outstanding debt that you owe to God. Uh, most people are happy to admit that they're not perfect. Uh, I, I doubt you've met someone who believes that they are uh, perfect, that there's no, no remaining sin in them. Uh, there's not too many people that, that genuinely, sincerely believe that. Uh, even people that don't believe in God... Uh, And even people that ironically deny that there's such a thing as right and wrong in in any absolute sense, they will still say, yeah, okay, I know I'm not perfect. It doesn't bother people too much to admit that. But it's another thing to admit that I have a debt that I owe to God. uh, That I owe God payment for the wrong that I've done or the good that I've failed to do. It's a lot harder to admit that. Because that means then something needs to be done about my debt. It's not just something I can admit and then move on. It it stands against me. And that's what Christ teaches us to admit in this prayer when he says, forgive us our debts. In the final analysis, we're not going to be let off for simply being not perfect. No, God declares to every one of us Uh, that the wrong we've committed is deserving of judgment, and that judgment will come. Uh, We have a mountain of debt standing against us, Uh, and it only accumulates, as as the catechism also emphasizes. Our debts are not growing smaller before God. Uh, We may like to think that God takes no notice of our sins, and and oftentimes we ourselves take uh, little thought of our own sins, Uh, But God does see them. Uh, Just like a person who uses his credit card sort of willy-nilly, buying a little thing here, a little thing there, and then by the end of the month uh, wonders, where did this bill come from? So we are before the throne of God. Uh, We realize by, by the end of our lives, we've accumulated a mountain of debt that must now be paid. That's a hard reality to face, as, as any one of us who've dealt with financial debts recognizes. Debts are tough to face. And, and there's a temptation when you when you see them, there's a temptation to sort of, let's just put that aside and, and not think about that and just keep on living like it isn't there. But it is there, and, and it will come before you. Uh, that's what Christ teaches us when He says... Uh, Pray, forgive us our debts. We have debts that need dealing with. I want to take a moment to explore what debts the Lord Jesus would have had in mind. It's worthwhile to take an honest inventory, so to speak, of the debts that we do have outstanding to God. We can hardly pray, after all, in all sincerity, we can hardly pray, forgive us our debts, without really even knowing what those debts are. The Catechism mentions two kinds of debts. You could break them down even further into three. Uh, First, there are our sins of commission. Uh, Those are the things that we've done or said or even thought that were wrong uh, and offensive to God. Uh, The Lord Jesus mentions many. Looking at a woman with lust. uh, Lashing out with your words against your neighbor. And, of course, that your neighbor includes your closest neighbors, your, your children, your spouse, your parents. Our words are destructive, and they incur a debt before God. Uh, we've told lies that we knew were wrong. It's another sin of commission, telling a lie. We've gossiped. We've said things behind people's back that shouldn't have been said this is a sin of commission and Christ teaches us especially in the sermon on the mount uh, to look far beyond the the gross sins that that generally get taken notice of uh, someone who uh, for example adultery uh, the lord jesus says someone who looks on a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart uh, he's already gotten on the road that ends with adultery and that too is sin uh, verbal abuse is, is still abuse. It can be just as cruel, just as damaging as physical abuse. It only takes a, a little rec- reflection then to recognize that there are a thousand ways that we have blatantly violated the law of God. All sins of commission. Uh, we're kidding ourselves then if, if we think the way the world thinks that we're, we're just imperfect. We're, you know, I'm just short of perfect. If we're taking an honest inventory of our sins, they are very many. There's there's the first part of the mountain of debt. And again, if we believe that God's going to just let these things slide, we're fooling ourselves. Uh, that's what it means when, when the Bible talks about making God into your image. You were made in God's image. Do not make God into yours as a God who overlooks your sin, who, who doesn't think about your sin. He is God, and he, he ought not to overlook them. He ought to hold us accountable for our sins. So those are sins of, of commission, things that God has commanded us to do that we haven't done. Uh, commanded us not to do, excuse me, that we have done. But that's only the beginning of our debt. Uh, Christ also speaks of sins of omission, uh, things that we should have done but didn't. And they are, in fact, far more numerous even than the sins of commission. Uh, You think of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, The sin of the, the priest and the Levite in this story was not that they were the ones who beat the man up and left him to die on the side of the road. That was someone else's sin. But the sin that they'd committed was that they should have stopped to help the man instead of looking the other way. And they didn't. They chose to keep on going. It's a sin that God holds against them. Now, the reality is sins of omission are a lot harder to see than sins of commission. And yet they are just as real, and they do just as much damage as sins of commission. Uh, You think of the German citizens in World War II who saw the evil that was being done by their government and refused to do anything about it. Uh, There's a famous quote by the British statesman Edmund Burke, that all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing sins of commission or sins of omission have consequences uh, and our, our sins of omission aren't limited to the times when uh, other people have done evil and we just failed to stop it uh, no they also uh, they go much further what responsibilities what responsibilities has god given you uh, i have a responsibility from god to be a a faithful husband, a nurturing husband to my wife, to protect her, to cherish her, to love her and build her up with my words and deeds. God holds me to account for that responsibility. I have a responsibility from God to train my son and my daughter in the fear and instruction of the Lord, which means taking time to be with them, talking with them, listening to them, correcting them, disciplining them as needed. These are responsibilities to which God for which God holds me to account. Uh, and the reality is our sins of omission it, when we fail to do what God commands us to do they are damaging. A father who never shows affection for his daughter can easily do more damage to her than a stranger on the street who might abuse her. It hurts a lot more for the father uh, when the father failed to love her. A wife who who never demonstrates respect for her husband or honors him as she is called to do can do great damage to him, can rob him of the respect and dignity that that he deserves, that God has given to him. A a father who fails to discipline his son uh, is telling his son, communicating to his son by his refusal to act that he doesn't love him enough to intervene. A son who refuses to honor and respect his, his mother, is committing a great and damaging sin, causing her pain that he, he may, may well probably never understand, uh, repaying her evil by the absence of his love for the good that she has done to him. God holds us to account. An elder who has the responsibility to shepherd the flock uh, of, of God, but fails to deal with sin, fails to get involved with the lives of the people in his care, uh, destroys the church by his inaction. These things matter. Uh, how many people have left the church because of the hypocrisy they saw there, or at least this is the reason they give, the hypocrisy they saw there that was never dealt with? Uh, This is a sin of omission by the elders. Or, to give one more example, what's worse at school? The actions of a bully against uh, some kid, or the refusal of everyone else to stand up for that kid? What, What does more damage? What hurts more in the long run? It's the refusal of everyone else to stand up for the dignity and honor of that kid. Our sins of omission are, are easily just as damaging, but they are much harder to see. Uh, it's often easy to recognize that when we've done something wrong that we shouldn't have, it takes a lot more discernment, a lot more thinking, a lot more prayer to recognize where there are things we should be doing or should have done that we're not doing or haven't done. And yet those are debts in the eyes of God. And yet... Our debt before God is, is far greater even than that. It's greater than our sins of omission and our sins of commission. God also sees our sinful nature. Something the catechism also highlights. God sees our hearts. He, he knows the desires that we have. He, he sees what, uh, what people we ought to be and how far we are from being those people. Uh, he sees the lack of honor. That exists in our hearts for Him. He sees how little we esteem Him. Uh, He sees our self-centeredness. He sees our ingratitude. Things that uh, is not even necessarily what we've done or haven't done. But who we are. And this too matters before God. And uh, and worse still, He sees what we would be capable of because of who we are. If we were given the right opportunity. And the truth is, none of us even realize what we are capable of doing. You think of the horrors that have happened in places like Rwanda, where entire tribes commit genocide against others. And you think, how, how is it possible that ordinary citizens, regular people, became so cruel and so inhuman to one another? That's who they are in the right opportunity. We look at our forefathers here in Canada who not that long ago slaughtered First Nations villages, uh, who who participated in the African slave trade. And and we're fooling ourselves if we think, well, if I had lived in that time period, I would not have been involved in those things. This is human nature when given the opportunity. We don't know what we would be capable of until the opportunity and motive present themselves. Uh, People often say that power corrupts, uh, but power doesn't actually corrupt. It it only gives us the opportunity to practice the corruption that's already there. Uh, God knows our hearts. He knows what we would be capable of. And the pride and the hatred, the self-centeredness that exist within us are on full display in the eyes of God. And they are as offensive to Him as any sin we commit or failure uh, to do what we ought to do. These two are debts. It's what the Lord Jesus teaches in Mark 7. He says to His disciples, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person uh, "...from outside is not what defiles him. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slide, uh, slide, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person." It's easy again uh, to, to simply say in our prayers by rote memory, forgive us our debts without recognizing how many and how serious they are in the eyes of God. Who does see them all? Uh, there's a, a, a little story of a, a lady who was known to be a gossip in a church. And uh, she once came to a minister and she told him very humbly, you know, Reverend, I'm, I'm, I'm such a poor, wretched sinner. And the minister responded, well, yes, I know. I've actually been told that. And, and the lady uh, got upset and said, who said that about me? Well, so it is. We so easily confess our sins in general terms, but are upset when they are pointed out in the specific. Uh, that lady didn't recognize, uh, didn't truly recognize what she was saying when she said, I'm a poor, wretched sinner. It's very easy us to admit that we're sinners and to ask God for forgiveness without recognizing, taking the time to recognize how real and how serious those sins are. That is not true repentance. True repentance is, is what we see in David, for example, in, in Psalm 51, uh, where he committed his sin against Bathsheba and against Uriah, and he came before God after being confronted by, by the prophet Nathan and confessed to God against you, You only have I sinned. Not because he hadn't sinned against others, he had, but because he recognized my sin against God is so great that my sins against all others and their sins against me pale in comparison. Uh, True repentance is when we, we, we take an honest look at ourselves and recognize we do have a debt that we owe to God, and it's very serious, and it grows every day. So the Lord Jesus teaches us, pray to God for the forgiveness of your debts. Don't ignore your debts. And those debts are our sins of commission, our sins of omission, and most of all, our very sinful nature. In the words of the catechism, the evil that still clings to us, it matters before God. But the same petition that reminds us of a very dark truth of our sin, it's also a petition of hope. The Lord Jesus does teach us to pray this precisely because the Father does forgive our sins. Even though our debts to God are greater than than we can even imagine and and far greater than we could ever pay, Christ teaches us to pray because He knows the Father will forgive. And that's exactly what Christ came. Uh, You can think of Christ teaching this prayer knowing He's going to finish His life on earth to make that prayer possible for God to answer. Uh, the punishment that he paid uh, was terrible. Uh, you all know what flogging and crucifixion entailed. And that, was, that itself was small in comparison to the weight of the wrath of God that pressed upon the Lord Jesus on the cross. The Father's face turned away from him. Uh, Christ endured that punishment in our place so that we could pray this prayer Forgive us our debts. That was was the punishment, the debt that was on us. Uh, We should have been hanging there. And it was from us that the Father should have turned His face. Uh, So great was our debt, so foul is our sin. Uh, But because Christ did that, we can pray this prayer knowing that whenever we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, the Father does forgive us. The Lord Jesus came and made it possible. Uh, he, He accomplished all that was needed for that prayer to be answered. Isaiah 53 verse 5, Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by His wounds we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Or 1 John 1 verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because Christ died in our place, we can pray this prayer. And we can know that we are heard and that prayer is answered. Our sins, our debts are forgiven. Now Christ does add one line to this petition. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. It's worth taking the time to think about what the Lord Jesus meant by that. It's clear that this is a really important point to the Lord Jesus, especially when you read the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. As soon as He finishes the sixth petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, He picks up the theme again of forgiving our debtors. He says, Matthew 6, verse 14, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. The Lord is teaching us that if we expect our debts... To be forgiven, then He expects us to forgive others. If we want mercy from the Father, we better show mercy to those uh, who owe us a debt. And it's good to recognize these are not equal demonstrations of mercy. The debt that we owe God, the guilt that stands before us, uh, that, that stands between us, rather, and God, is far greater than any offense that we may have between one another. That needs to be understood if we're going to take to heart the Lord's teaching on, on this point. When someone sins against us, it's very easy for us to see that sin as a greater offense than any that we have ever committed against God. This is true for every one of us. This is the way our human nature reacts to being sinned against. And we consider very lightly our own sins before God, and yet we take very seriously the offenses committed against us. We need to recognize that's wrong. The Lord sees them as they truly are. Uh, That's what the Lord teaches also with his parable of the unforgiving servant, which we read earlier. Uh, The debt that the servant owed the king was 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was worth about 20 years' wages for the average laborer, so this 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 person owed the king two hundred thousand years worth of of wages. The point is obviously it's far more than he could ever hope to pay. The fact that he's there uh, crying before this king, uh, have patience with me, and I'll pay you everything is ludicrous. He he could not possibly pay what he owed. That's our debt before God, uh, and that's why it's so ridiculous as it's supposed to be uh, when after the king forgives this servant the entire debt that the same servant bumps into a fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii and he grabs him and he begins to choke him saying pay what you owe now it's good to notice um, the debt that the other man owed him was a hundred denarii that's not a small amount of money a denarius was a day's wages, roughly, for, a, for the average laborer. So this is a hundred days' wages. Put it in today's terms, let's say it's around $15,000. It's three months' worth of wages for the average worker in Canada. Let's say it's $15,000. Jesus is not, by this parable, trying to trivialize the debts that we owe to one another. That's not his point. He's not saying, you know, you owe a great debt to God and your, your, your brother owes a tiny debt to you. No, he's saying, yeah, that debt is considerable, but it's not comparable. It's considerable, but it's not comparable. Uh, we still recognize the servant's treatment of his fellow servants was evidence of a perverse heart. He trivialized his own debt before the king, which was far, far greater, and yet took very seriously The sin, the debt that was owed him. Which, by comparison, was very small. And isn't that exactly what we do, brothers and sisters? Uh, We hold grudges, sometimes for years, uh, because we have a badly distorted sense of perspective about the weight of our sins and the weight of the sins of others against us. The Lord Jesus is very... Clear in this parable. It's not often that the Lord Jesus resorts to threatening his own disciples. He threatens the, the Pharisees all the time, but uh, usually his his attitude towards his disciples is gentle and merciful. On this point, in several places, the Lord Jesus lays down a threat to his disciples: If you don't forgive those who've sinned against you, the Lord will not forgive you. Forgiveness. Matters. He who is unwilling to forgive his brother or sister from the heart will not be forgiven by God either. It's a very serious warning. And if God's grace is not enough to make us humble, grateful, and merciful, especially merciful to others, then God will not waste his grace on us. Now, I should explain what it means then to forgive someone else. Because that itself is not an, a, a universally understood concept. And it would be wrong then for me to place a burden on on you that, that scripture does not place. If we're saying we must forgive, let's understand what it means to forgive. Now, the Lord Jesus teaches us, more broadly speaking, that there are two things you could do when sinned against. Now, one option that's often forgotten is simply to overlook the sin, to To cover it with love. Uh, Proverbs 19 verse 11 tells us that it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. There are times when when simply that's all you should do. Just just overlook the offense. Uh, This requires a a proper sense of proportion. Recognizing that some offenses need to be dealt with. Some just need to be overlooked. Not every offense requires confrontation. Uh, Sometimes we simply overlook it. This is especially important to recognize this within within marriage. I trust any of you who've been married uh, more than two days uh, will will understand this. There are times you just overlook an offense if every sin required confrontation that 's all you 'd be doing confronting each other all the time and the same can be said in, in many other relationships within the church uh, with our neighbors. We should cultivate a healthy ability to overlook an offense to just Cover it in love. Uh, and and, and that, means that, that means just letting it go, forgetting about it. it doesn't, saying, you know, it just doesn't matter. But not every sin can be overlooked. Uh, some are too serious to overlook. In some cases, we, we can't just forget about the sin. And in fact, in many cases, it wouldn't be good, either for ourselves or for the offender, For us to just forget about the sin. Uh, In these cases, you can't just overlook it. And in these cases, the Lord teaches us we must confront the sinner. So here we have a, a principle we can lay down. If you're unwilling to overlook a sin, you must confront the sinner. If you're unwilling to confront the sinner, you must overlook the sin. You cannot have it both ways, where you say, I will not forget about this sin, but I refuse to, to, to deal with the person who sinned against me. Uh, that is incompatible with the grace of God and the Lord's instructions. Uh, so then we must confront the sinner. Of course, we are to do so in love, and we are to do so with a humble and a merciful spirit, desiring that they would come to repentance. And if they do repent... The Lord teaches us we must forgive them. Now, there's a big debate here. Do you forgive those who do not repent? And people tend to polarize immediately to one side or the other. Uh, some say no, absolutely not. Some say yes, uh, you absolutely must. The biblical answer depends on what you mean by forgive. It's a word we throw around a lot. Usually when Scripture speaks of forgiving, it's referring to what you you might call transactional forgiveness. Uh, transactional forgiveness, if you want a technical, technical definition, is the removal of a debt. It's saying that debt no longer exists. It does not stand against, uh, against that person. It's saying, I cancel your debt. It's no longer there. The sin is effectively then erased. This kind of... Uh, This kind of forgiveness is the same forgiveness that we receive from God. That transactional forgiveness. Our debt is canceled uh, by the Lord Jesus. And the Lord teaches us that our forgiveness is to be modeled after God's forgiveness. As God has forgiven us, so we ought to forgive one another. So, should we forgive those who do not repent in that regard, in that sense? Well, no. In that sense, We cannot. Uh, God doesn't forgive those who don't repent, and neither are we called to forgive in that sense, to cancel the debt of those who do not repent. Indeed, we cannot. It takes two to cancel a debt. Uh, You can see this very clearly in in Luke 17, verse 3. The Lord Jesus tells His disciples, If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. You see repentance there as a condition for forgiveness. As long as this person is unrepentant, their sins still stand against them. And that's something that the, the offended party cannot uh, take away. Uh, the person must repent uh, themselves for that forgiveness to take place. That's transactional Forgiveness And it's modeled after the forgiveness of God. Uh, on the other hand, we can speak of an attitudinal forgiveness. A forgiveness that takes place within the heart. And the Bible does as well. It's something that happens within ourselves irrespective of what the other person does. It means, for one thing, renouncing bitterness... Saying, "I will not be bitter against this person," knowing too that bitterness itself is a poison. It's often described as drinking poison in the hopes of killing the other person. Uh, it does not work, and it is also inexcusable. The person who is bitter is the person who does not understand the grace of God. Uh, here, we we might, uh, when when speaking of attitudinal forgiveness, we might think of the Lord Jesus' prayer on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This is before, obviously, before they had repented. It's a prayer that forgiveness would be able to take place. Uh, Or the Lord Jesus' instruction in Mark 11. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. This is This is something that happens within the human heart. We are called to have an attitude of forgiveness. And that that attitude of forgiveness also means desiring the other person's repentance, wanting them to come to repentance, wanting there to be restoration. Uh, It's hoping for the good of the offender. Uh, it, it's, it's, in a sense, you could say it this way. Attitudinal forgiveness is doing our part as far as we are able in the transaction of forgiveness. One person describes it as wrapping up the present of forgiveness and offering it to the offender if only they are willing to repent and receive it. Uh, that, that is what an attitude of forgiveness is. And this, too, is modeled after the, the, the way that God in Christ has, has treated us. What did Christ do while we were still his enemies? He died for us. He showed his love for us. Romans uh, 5 or 6. And, and so he also calls us to do the same. He desires uh, our repentance. And he desires that we would also work for the repentance of those who sinned against us. So we cannot remove the offense of an unrepented person as long as they're not yet repentant but we can let go of our bitterness and trust ourselves to God and entrust the offense to God and even pray and we should pray for the one who has sinned that they would repent furthermore we can show love we can show mercy towards those who have sinned against us uh, and and all of this is recognizing Whatever the offense may be, as great as it may be, it is still small in comparison to the offense that I have committed against God. That's the heart of forgiveness that the Lord Jesus does call us to have. And and that's the heart that the Lord Jesus himself had for us, carrying our offenses against him to the cross before we ever even repented. Now, one more thing uh, should be said. If someone does say that they repent, then Christ does clearly command us to forgive them. But forgiveness does not automatically mean uh, that that there are no consequences for the sin that has been committed. It's entirely possible uh, to forgive someone and still call the police on them. And sometimes that's the right course of action, to say this, this offense no longer stands between us, but you're still dangerous, and, 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 need, and the sin still needs to be dealt with. And, and it's important to understand from the other side, if, they are, if, if the offender is truly repentant, then they will want to do what is necessary to have that sin dealt with. True repentance wants to deal with the consequences of one's sin. Uh, if they say, I refuse to deal with the consequences, they have not repented. Uh, repentance, then, and forgiveness do not mean that there are no consequences. Uh, nor does forgiveness mean that, that one automatically trusts a person again. Trust is, is the sort of thing that takes years to build and can be broken in an instant. It, it's a fragile thing. Uh, even after sin is forgiven, the damage it causes might remain for a lifetime. There may never be that full relationship of trust. Uh, we should strive once, once forgiveness has taken place. There's true repentance. We should strive for rebuilding of relationship. Repentance always leads towards restoration. But it may never reach that full goal on this side of eternity. A truly repentant sinner, again, recognizes that this is a consequence for their sin, that trust may never be rebuilt. Um, finally, forgiveness does not mean forgetting. People say it too often forgive and forget. Now, with, when we're talking about overlooking a sin, you may well forget it, and you'd probably do well to forget it. Forgiveness, though, does not mean forgetting. We're not called to forget, and it's not healthy to forget. Uh, sometimes people speak of, yeah, but doesn't the Lord say He will remember our sins no more? Uh, yes, but that doesn't mean that God has amnesia. It means that He won't hold those sins against us. Uh, God still calls us to, to work with and live with the consequences of those sins. You don't just forget that you committed them. If, you, if you're forgetting people's offenses against you, if they're serious offenses, you should, you should get that checked out. Uh, that's not... It's not healthy. It's not normal. Uh, So forgiveness does not mean no consequences. It does not mean immediate restoration. It does not mean trust, and it does not mean uh, forgetting. But it does mean the beginning of a process of reconciliation. And we cannot use the difficulty of reconciling as an excuse not to try we cannot say, well, it's too hard to reconcile, I don't want to reconcile, and therefore I don't have to. Refusal to be reconciled to the, uh, to the sinner who has repented is, is almost always a symptom of an inner refusal to truly forgive. It's a symptom that true forgiveness has not actually taken place. And, and God knows our hearts. Again, the Lord Jesus is very clear on this. If you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. Recognize then, uh, the heart of this prayer is recognize the difference in proportion. Recognize how tremendous your sins are before God. How great God's mercy is to you. And show that you recognize that in the way you deal with the sins of others. So again, the Lord Jesus teaches us to pray, Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. It's a hard prayer to pray We need the Holy Spirit's help with this to show us our debts, to to help us to understand how, how great, how significant they are. Not only the wrong we've done, but things we ought to have done and the people that we are. And it takes the Holy Spirit's help also to see these things in proportion and then show that same grace, same forgiveness towards those who sinned against us. That's what Christ calls us to do. Amen. Let's sing in response.